What is a Yogo Hub and how does it work? How do you balance meaningful outcomes for your users while maintaining a sustainable business model? How do the processes in academia and industry differ? And what are the ways that academia and industry can work together for collective impact? This episode is brought to you by the Master of Digital Media program at the Center for Digital Media. The MDM program is a 16-month professional graduate program that engages students in real-world projects and coursework that provides valuable leadership experience, training, and top digital media industry connections. Graduates have the know-how and confidence to work at the highest level in a range of industries as creators, producers, innovators, or entrepreneurs. Learn more at the cdm.ca. Hello and welcome back to Raincoat Podcast. Today we want to speak about a company that is an amazing example of how academia and industry can work together and through that bring forward even better knowledge translation. We are excited to have Michael Ferguson and Dr. Silva Moreno with us for this conversation. Hello and welcome to Raincoat. My name is Isabel. And I'm Sarah. And we are excited to share how academia, industry and communities can work together on complex problems and improve knowledge translation. All right, Michael, we're going to get started with you. You're the CEO of Iogo Health, a digital health company focusing on improving patient activation, adherence, and persistence to therapy. And you're also a board member at Innovate BC and a public speaker, and the list goes on and on. To sum it up, you have years of experience in both business and app development. What we're curious about is how did Iogo evolve to be the company it is today? Well, that's a that's an interesting and somewhat challenging question to answer. Actually, I think there's a lot that went into the company, um, you know, from its inception to today, and only some of it has to do with me. Of course, I was fortunate to um, know a lot of very smart and motivated people who wanted to make a change in the world to see, you know, human flourishing increase, and we thought that our backgrounds in you know, cognitive neuroscience and behavioral economics and service design could be very valuable. And so we decided to start a company and, and just see where it took us. And, and since then, the company has really grown, you know, from the, um, you know, on the sort of on this with the strengths and on the back of the people who we recruited to the business and, and who have really been part of helping us grow it. So on that note, you said you wanted to go and see how you can bring your backgrounds to see humans flourishing and you mentioned cognitive neuroscience and all of that. So how did, you know, knowing now that Iogo Health has been recognized as one of the 100 most innovative companies working in the digital health sector as part of the Global Digital Health 100 Award list, how did you come to using your strengths for the digital health industry versus anything else? Well, the myself and the, and the, team that started a yoga initially, um, well, we have some experience working together and we, the, the immediate predecessor company to a yoga was a serious game studio. And we became very fascinated with how games and play, um, helped us as human beings direct our attention and, and what impact the, that 
the focus of our attention could have on our behavior. We, we imagine that, you know, um, intention um, is the precedent to um, to action, but it's actually different. Um, you know, our our intentions often flow from our actions, and so what games do is they get us acting, and by getting us acting, they change our intention, what it is that we intend to do next. Um, we thought this was a really fascinating effect, and we thought that we wanted to build a company around it. And and as we started to do more work in the area, of course, you know, part of the part of the task, part of the challenge to grow your business is to develop your ideas more fully, to ensure that you're not just breathing your own fumes all the time. That what you're saying is really true. And um, and you know, for that reason, we you know, didn't just build our company, but also built a sort of network around the business, um, partners and. You know, we made a, a concerted effort to to be part a, a constructive part of the digital health ecosystem um, here in in Vancouver, and, and that's led us to some very interesting places. Okay, so you started this company, and did you have kind of a turning point or at a certain realization when you thought, okay, we need to bring together more academia and kind of the scientific research side into the business? Well, yes, I, I think that moment came quite early on, actually. It, we came to realize that a lot of what we were doing was actually profoundly counterintuitive. And, um, you know, where your intuition fails you, you need to rely on science. And so you know, we made a concerted effort again, to reach out to the community, to build relationships, to recruit people with backgrounds in science um, to our business. But we're a for-profit company. We're not set up to do basic research. We're not set up to do the kind of work that's best done, you know, at, at a university or um, or in a hospital. And so, you know, it's important for us to partner effectively and and to see ourselves, you know, just as part of this broader ecosystem of people who really are working hard to make the world better, and in particular, make the world better by improving um, the healthcare system and how the healthcare system interacts with and treats human beings as human beings and not just as patients. Okay, I believe this is also where Savan comes in. You are a professor at the Simon Fraser University here in Vancouver, and your program of research focuses on interactive media, rehabilitation and neuroscience. And you are also the CEO and scientific director of the Digital Health Circle. So, but most important for today's conversation and especially about what Michael just said, you're a partner with Ayogo to give scientific input. So, Savan, um, how did you come to be so industry involved as someone from academia? Um, hi, thank you. Thank you for inviting me today. I'm uh, glad to be here. So it's great. And <clears throat> especially in this uh, context, uh, talking about uh, great collaboration we have with uh, Ayogo. Um, you know, I, th I think, you know, it's any collaboration is really linked to the people that are, are working together. So that's the first part. I think like every industry to academic um, collaboration is a little bit unique. Um, the other aspect of that is for me, like the main motivation was I didn't want to stop my scientific work at the scientific publication stage. I wanted that my work can help people and really have an impact in, in the society and, and really to reach patients, for example. 
Okay, and how does that play out? So what does your role involve as a partner for Yugo? First, like when you work with industry, the role can really change. You know, it really depends on the project. Sometimes it can be uh, really focused on, you know, developing a research paradigm. Then another time it could be more like advising about uh, what is what are the knowledge in the field of the collaboration um, that can help the company to develop a product, for example. And some of the time is more like creating something completely new. So is uh, bringing your expertise and your experience to the brainstorming table in some ways. Um, with uh, Michael, our work is very multidisciplinary. So we, we you know, sometimes Michael come with idea, sometimes I come with idea. That is what has been like extremely productive in our relationship. And, uh, and, and, and pushing each other toward um, uh, more excellence and, and trying to bridge the frontiers of the different field has been uh, something very exciting for me. So we've heard little tidbits of how you and Michael work together and how every collaboration and every project is unique. But can you, both of you, guide us through an example of how an idea came to form and how it evolved for that ultimate end product and go through the entire process in general of how stakeholders are involved, when they're involved, what steps are required to make an application? Give me the whole story. <laughs> <clears throat> well, you know, I think the the first step of the of the story to have a good um, partnership with an industry, and maybe uh, Michael after that you can you can tell the your your side of the story. But on my side is is really tr trying to find a partner that can understand um, what we do, but also what are our needs, and for us also to put ourselves in the shoes of the partner. I think in too many times when Academia and industry work together. It's kind of like a force uh, collaboration where both sides don't really understand each other, don't really know each other. And then it came to this kind of awkward feeling that we think we should work together, but we don't really know how. I think with Michael, it was completely different from the start. We had like a huge um, mutual res respect about our work and what, what we accomplish and our knowledge. And so it was more a sense of like, okay, let's try to find a way in which we can work together because we want to explore uh, this, uh, the potential of this collaboration. Before Michael goes on, you mentioned that you and Michael just kind of connected right from the start. So how did you and Michael meet in the first place? Well, I, I, it came from me. So I, I, I was a professor at University of Toronto, so I was living in Ontario, and I, I you know, got uh, recruited by Simon Fraser University to lead the digital as health aspect of uh, of uh, <clears throat> of SFU uh, Surrey, and uh, and then at that time I was looking into British Columbia to understand what are like the cutting edge company in digital health that really bring uh, something new in the field, and I, I right away. Uh, uh, see that Ayugo was one of those companies, so I contacted uh, Michael, and and I think we met, and uh, yeah, and and we we talk about conceptually about digital health and what we thought was the future, and I think we agree both of us that um, understanding the user and implementing um, mechanism for the product 
to really fit the need and the demand of uh, the user was very important in digital health. And yeah, Michael, maybe you can give us a little more an example, maybe even in a specific example of what you're working on right now, um, on how the process of developing a product from start to end is happening. Sure, well, I'm, ha I'm happy to do that. So, I mean, I'll, I'll preface my comments by saying that Sylvain is being very humble. And, you know, I think that you know, we've worked with a lot of different um, organizations with their, you know, roots in academia, you know, whether it is, you know, on the sort of pure research side or, or, or closer to the, to the clinical side. And, um, you know, Sylvain and Digital Health Circle are, in our experience, somewhat unique in that they, they really understand what it is we are trying to accomplish as a company. And, you know, one of the ways in which often objectives become misaligned is that, you know, we're, we're a for-profit company. And for us, you know, profit is a, you know, is a, is a means, not an end, but it's an important means. It's, it's how we get things done. If, if we can't make, if we can't find a way to make our business sustainable, um, we can't, accomplish anything I and mean, we would just everything we do will just peter out and eventually die so i think digital health circles understanding that what we have to do is not just build a product or a technology but we actually need to construct a sustainable business model that's driven by a product i think bringing that to the conversation was very very important <laughs> to to making our our collaboration work and just as an important piece of background just to understand you know how the example I'm going to give to you sort of unfolds. So we had decided, you know, as a company that we thought that our technology and approaches could work to really make an impact in multiple sclerosis in particular. So we had, you know, identified some un unmet patient needs there. MS is a very complex condition and it's more than just a medical condition. It is also very demanding psychosocially, as particularly recurring remissive MS, which is very unpredictable and, you know, is comorbid almost 90% of the time with depression, and, for example. And so understanding that it's not just about treating the condition, but also understanding the needs of the whole person in ways that can't really be dealt with just clinically was where we saw, you know, where we saw the opportunity. Having said that, you can't just treat the psychosocial side. So you can't just bring a, a, you know, a cognitive behavioral therapy or some kind of, you know, sort of depression remission oriented um, solution to market. You have to understand the full context, clinical, logistical, and psychosocial. And so we approached Digital Health Circle and said, look, we have this great opportunity that we've identified to, to really make a difference. We need you to help us. We would like you to help us build a broader advisory board to reach out to, um, to clinicians and patients, build a patient advisory board, a clinician advisory board, and give us advice on how we should validate our solution in the market um, and validate it in the clinical environment together so that we can understand how our solution will be used, how it could be, you know, monetized, if you prefer to say, to create a sustainable business model. And our conversation with Digital Health Circle was, you know, 
as, as Sylvain said earlier, multidisciplinary. It is to look at the sort of the whole context of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And they helped us develop a program, a program of building advisory boards, a program of developing new content, a program of, of validation, and then to help us as part of the process to uh, to release it to the market, to speak about it, to, to publicize it from a PR point of view. Every one of those aspects of the project, Digital Health Circle had something to say about. So it's partly their it's the breadth that they brought to the project that allowed us to sort of focus on what we do best, which is you know designing and building and operating commercial products and software applications, but to ensure that we did that in a way that was you know properly validated cl- clinically was truly going to be meaningfully useful um, and, and, and deployable logistically, and of course had the important effect that we wanted to have with the patients psychosocially. If I understand correctly, Digital Health Circle really helped to balance meaningful work and at the same time making profit as a company. On this way of going through projects or even establishing all of this, what were kind of mistakes that you did in the course of building a yoga up this way? Oh, I, I'm, I'm not sure this podcast is long enough <laughs> to discuss all of those things. I mean, so much of what we do is about making mistakes. Um, you know, we, 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 we're, we're very aware that, you know, whenever we come into some new idea, that the question is not, is, is the idea wrong? The question is, in what way is it wrong? <laughs> And how wrong is it? And so much of what you're trying to do is find the things about your ideas and your concepts and, you know, and, and your technology and approaches, find out how they are suboptimal, find out the ways in which they do not work, either, you know, from a business model point of view or, or from a scientific point or a clinical point of view, and then correct them. So it is this process of continuously adjusting what you are doing to try to build something that in the end is sufficiently good to be, you know, and, and good can be defined, is defined by different um, players in the different stakeholders in different ways, but sufficiently good across the whole um, ecosystem of stakeholders to be really deployed, um, you know, confidently to know that it will have, you know, positive impact that you understand where the risks are, that it may, um, that need to be mitigated and, uh, and understand that the negative effects are sufficiently small that they're worth the, they're, they're an acceptable cost to get at the, um, the positive result. So, you know, it is, is largely about trial and error, you know, from a commercial software company. And that process is one that, you know, we try to go in in a humble way. It's important to know what you're, what you're good at and what you know and don't know. And, um, and, and I think that, um, you know, that, that is the, it is that in that spirit of, you know, mistake making and, and an adjustment where we find our, you know, our, our best results. Okay, so it sounds like there's this advisory group that you use a lot to get some information. But going back to how do you even know what to research on? How do you identify the areas of health that requires Iogo's expertise to kind of fill in that gap? So we, we come to our work with a certain kind of background. Right. We have our background IP, our background intellectual property and approaches. So it does constrain us in a creative way to a territory where we think we can have an impact. And, you know, for example, to take a look at, you know, patients who are living with 
um, uh, recurring remissive MS and to say, you know, to look for those particular kinds of challenges they're experiencing that we could have something to say about. That is, we could recognize them, we could assess them, quantify them in some way, and then address them. So one of the use cases that we identified here was that given the age of many of these um, patients, that they are themselves parents. And one of the most challenging things as a parent is when something bad happens to you and to communicate it with your child in a way that doesn't feel like you're just dumping <laughs> your, your, your worries and your challenges on your child who's not old enough to really understand what's going on. So we'd identified this challenge that parents had. How do I explain to my child about a condition that even I myself do not properly understand? Now that, that's an, that is the kind of problem that a yoga feels like we could really solve. You know, we could, we could play an important part in solving, I should say. We couldn't deliver the complete solution there, but we can deliver an important part of it. And so with that insight in mind, then we approach a part, our partner, in this case, Digital Health Circle, um, and say, look, we've identified this opportunity. How do you think we should go about, you know, properly understanding the full context? How do you think we can best understand what the, the clinical environments would be? What is the, what is the background science here that we could rely on that perhaps we don't know about? Help us to develop a program whereby we could begin to develop this product effectively. So we're not asking them to help us build the final product. We're asking them to help us create a process by which a final product could be delivered effectively and to help us fill in the gaps and frankly, where, where we are weak and they are strong. Sivan, what is for you the most important thing then in that process to ensure that you give the right input for a yoga? Yeah, that's a tough question because uh, even if you try, you don't always succeed in some ways, right? Like, I think, you know, the point is like to try to bring together the right uh, stakeholders and also to assume that you don't know the answer. Like, I think most of the mistakes come from the fact that Some people come at, at, at a table of collab to collaborate that they think they know the answer. And, and I think that's where the project failed. Like uh, when it succeeds is when people are like Michael explain, right? We come, we think we understand this aspect and the other person understand, you know, another aspect. And then you say, oh, you know what? I think we need a third and a fourth uh, expertise in that project. And We need, um, you know, for example, somebody that has more expertise in mental health, somebody that has more expertise in, um, in at the medical level, for example. So I think this is this approach, I think, to go step by step where you try to break silos uh, or the silo of the discipline and, and also the silo of academia and the silo of industry and where you kind of like come to the table with an open mind and you, you try to understand, okay, What is the problem? How can we, um, you know, address this problem together? I think those two tips that you've had are relevant to a lot of different fields. But when you mentioned bringing together the right stakeholders, how do you go about doing that? And have you had any challenges of engaging with these end users? And what are some of those examples and how did you work through them? I know that's like four questions in one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let me try to answer, and then if I forget something, you you know you you can repeat the question. But um, I think you know, as you probably know, like yeah, it's difficult to bring stakeholders at the table. Um, 
And then also is the most difficult, I think, is not to bring people at the table. It's actually to help all the stakeholders to understand each other and to listen to each other and to respect their opinion. In some ways, like, you know, if you bring a patient at the table um, and, uh, and, and then you bring an industry partner, sometimes the patient's going to say, oh, I need X, Y, Z, and, and then and also like one, two, three, and also, you know, and, and the company, like the patient is expecting the company will fix every problem, right, that, that the patient may have. And so understanding that uh, the company has to be focused to be successful and to be able to develop a product that, that will work is, is one area of, in which like, we, we try to help uh, the dialogue between different stakeholders. I think that's very important that somebody take that role. Um, another aspect uh, of difficulty that we encounter as an example is like sometimes when we work with medical profession and there is a nurse, a medical doctor, a social worker, and a patient in a room. Uh, the hierarchical structure of the medical system impacts a lot uh, those discussions and those collaborations. In some ways, like everyone is waiting for the medical doctor to voice his opinion or to validate something. And on the other way, sometimes the medical doctor is, is just too vocal in, into the collaboration and, and do not listen to the input of other people. Um, I can give you like a concrete example in which we have been involved, not with Ivo, but with another uh, partner and where in which we were like working with uh, developing an iWatch for patient. And the company um, didn't listen to uh, or didn't take the time to include uh, users in, in the designing of the watch. And, and they, they kind of like did a global approach to the watch and not a very specific to the patient group that they were addressing. And at the end, it turned out that the patient group didn't like the watch. So the technology was working really well, but nobody wanted to wear the watch. And I think that's a very key example uh, to show how unique IOO is. Because sometimes it, it feels straightforward to do that, but it takes a lot of uh, uh, knowledge and process and understanding to be able to involve the right uh, type of patient, but also to collect and understand the information that the patient is communicating. And I think Iogo is, is really a, a breaking ground on, on that aspect. So is there a specific strategy to recruit the, I guess, perfect or a representative sample of stakeholders that are relevant to the end users of the product? Yeah, well, this is why you need a researcher in the project. <laughs> this is exactly why we, we train our students to do and uh, to understand how a population can be represented, how many people you need to have, how many different kind of profile of those patients you need to have, what are the medical professions that are going to be involved with the product or are going to make decisions around the product. Um, yeah, so this, those are like basically what probably the research side is bringing to the table to be able to uh, understand who, who should be at the table, how to include and uh, 
make those people, those actors participate uh, meaningfully and also how to collect the information and then how to analyze the information. And that is key for the work of developing a product like Ayogo does. And Michael, at what point do you then bring the users in? So do you already test academic frameworks with users or are you starting ideation processes and workshops with users? Because we know that you do pilot studies and everything, but already before, do you bring the users in to get feedback? Oh, absolutely. I, I, it, it's really essential to our process to engage in participatory design from the, from the ideation stage. So it's not enough to say we've gone and spoken to, you know, a hundred um, people who ha who have MS and our parents, and they have told us that they have this challenge. And then for us to go away into a cave somewhere and and design a solution, it is to always be in conversation. Do we actually understand this well enough? To explain to us how this impacts you and, and impacts you as a whole person, impacts you emotionally, impacts you psychologically, impacts you intellectually. They're, human beings are so complicated and the healthcare system complex and so, and so many stakeholders that it really is, from our perspective, a conversation always. And, you know, and as I was saying before, I, I said it and maybe it sounded a little bit glib when I said it, I didn't mean it to be. The question is not, are we wrong? The question is, how wrong are we? Are we so wrong <laughs> that we need to abandon this and rethink it entirely from the start again? Or are we, you know, just, just a little bit wrong and, you know, that we can correct, that we can course correct and understand better. We are continually learning. I think there's this idea of a beginner's mind that I think is so powerful, you know, to always come to every conversation assuming that you don't really know and that you have to ask and the answer you give will only be only you can only ever have a partial understanding of that answer um that i think is really important to to how we approach our work and i think that is actually the that is actually the the platform on which you know sylvan and his team at digital health circle and a yogo stand on together that is this acknowledgement that regardless of how deep your expertise is in one area, it's really only one area that we are all equally beginners <laughs> in, in some area in which we are currently working. And so the goal is to work together to build up a, you know, a, a increasing amount of knowledge to narrow our focus um, over time to finding the things that we that we could feel like we could do and could really work and then be humble about what it is that you've produced how wrong is it so wrong you should throw it away and start again or is it close enough that you feel like you can iterate on it and continually improve it yeah it sounds like the way you work together the academic partnership digital health circle and also collaborating with users and looking at really at their needs. That makes Ayogo a very credible company and probably the products too. So a little side question, the strategies that you apply for the apps, like behavior change techniques or any self-management, do they work for yourself? Well, <laughs> human beings are complex. I feel that I am, you know, I'm, I'm a better, healthier, <laughs> smarter person today than I was. 
<laughs> yesterday and that I was a year ago and five years ago and 10 years ago when I started this company. So I guess, I mean, maybe it's for other people to say more than me, but you know, for me, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Um, I feel that I am a better, more compassionate person now than I was. And I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm in some ways, you know, more fit and healthy than I've ever been. I, you know, that's not all just, you know, my own willpower. I know, I mean, a lot of that is exposure to these ideas and having the opportunity to speak through them, uh, talk through them and, and to meet experts in all kinds of areas. So I recognize that, you know, I'm speaking from a bit of a privileged position here when I say that, but I can say from firsthand experience, these are powerful techniques and they really do work. And, um, you know, they, they won't solve everything. Um, you can't solve every problem the same way every time. And, um, you know, not every problem is, is even a candidate really to be solved exactly. You know, one, one of my favorite quotes from Bill Gates, I think it is, he said, you know, every, every bug is really also an undocumented feature, depending on your perspective. And that's true of our minds as anything else. So, you know, the things that make me playful and creative are also the things that probably ensure that I show up for every meeting. I'm supposed to be in five minutes late. So, you know, we're complicated beings, but I think being more thoughtful and more intentional and more conversational about how we solve problems in our own lives and, um, you know, in, in business and, and, and in healthcare, I think that is the way forward. You know, there's very few problems in the world that are not best addressed by some combination of curiosity and love and intelligence. We'll be right back after our sponsored question of the episode. We heard that you also hire a master of digital media students from the Center for Digital Media. What do you value in the MDM approach that uh, you hire the students? Well, the Center for Digital Media does a lot of things well. And, um, you know, from my perspective, my limited perspective, the thing that I greatly value about it is the multidisciplinary approach they take. First, in how they recruit students to their programs. Many students, in my experience, come with rich and varied backgrounds. And then in the program itself, they're given the opportunity to work across a broad range of roles in a broad range of disciplines, uh, exposure to different academic disciplines and, um, um, and, and areas of knowledge to develop their own conception of what they are good at and what contributions they could make. And then to go from that program pretty directly into industry. Um, I think that is, you know, a, a, a valuable and important part of the overall ecosystem. Obviously there's, there's value to be had in pure academic research and, you know, in all sorts of other things. But I think that the center for digital media plays and fills a really important niche in the ecosystem and their students come to us um, with often very clear ideas about how they would like to build their careers and what it is they're good at and what it is that they enjoy doing that they're good at. And that makes them, you know, a joy to work with. Yeah. So Sylvain, coming from an academic background, what were some of the differences or surprises that you experienced when you came to work with the industry side or the for-profit organization side of things? 
Yeah, I mean, like the, the, the difference are multiple at, at different stages. Where we have like one one main difference, I would say, is a timeline. Like in industry, things are going um, faster than in academia uh, because academic work is mainly focused on quality. So people will take more time to achieve a higher quality because time per se is not as meaningful. Instead of in industry, you're working in like the real economy. So time is extremely valuable and you have salaries and, you know, so this is one of the big, also a big barrier for the collaboration between industry and academia. Um, another part that I, um, that I see as a difference is this notion to be able to achieve something that's going to impact uh, the world, like uh, with a product. And I really like this aspect. This was really something that I was missing in academia, to have something that will have an impact uh, uh, right now, I mean, like I, I've been part with other project, uh, you know, a decade ago uh, um, with industry, and I, I, I still see people in the street that tell me, "Oh, this product is so fantastic," uh, and telling me like, "Oh, you have been involved in that." And so there is a this notion that a product has a life, um, and sometimes a longer life than uh, uh, than most of the scientific paper. So being involved in the creation of that uh, was something extraordinary for me. I, I really like this aspect of creating technology. Uh, so that's an, another aspect. It, but it's not totally true because there is actually a scientific field like engineering or technology in which we create technology. Um, so those are two, two aspects that I see will probably change both sides. Uh, another side that has been probably something important to me is um, this notion of uh, working multidisciplinary is more often found in uh, industry than in academia. Um, academia function a lot in silo, where, you know, like, for example, you work in psychology, you, you just work in psychology. You're not going to try to address other problems. And sometimes there is only like probably 50 to 100 people in the world that really understand uh, your topic of work and, and what you do. Uh, so this disconnection sometimes that we feel in academia is not present in industry. So this is really refreshing industry that you work on current pro problems that you can address now. Uh, that also has been something really rewarding um, in my collaboration with industry. Just focusing down on that aspect, you talked about time. How do you advise Michael with Ayogo on academic processes if you know they take a really long time? Because he has to also drive a business forward. So how do you both deal with that? Well, so that's one of the aspects that is positive about Digital Health Circle. So Digital Health Circle is the organization that allow to break that that limit if you if you want like uh, the idea of digital health circle is to um that the collaboration with the industry is not linked to for example a student degree or like something that's happening inside of the curric academic curriculum so we free the researcher and the student from uh, the curriculum by by um by just uh, uh, hiring them 
in the project and, and give them a salary. Um, so like that, they don't have to do that in conjunction with the academic program. So that has been one of the, the key support that Digital Health Circle is able to give to uh, those academics that want to collaborate with, with industry. All this talk that we've been having so far about working with the end users all fall under the umbrella of knowledge translation, but I feel like that is a very academic term and the CIHR or the Canadian Institute of Health Research clearly defines it as a process that includes a contextualization, integration, and communication of research, as well as the interaction between the knowledge user and the researcher. All of that being said, Michael, coming from the more industry background, what does knowledge translation and that CIHR definition mean to you? Well, it, it means that ultimately the work that we do, no matter who it is that is doing it, and no matter what the time scale is in which it is being done, the value of it can only be measured in, the ter in terms of human flourishing. That's what it means to me, is that ultimately you can research, take 20 years, take 50 years, take 100 years to do your research. If in the end, it does not result in an increase in human flourishing, then what was the point of it? And likewise, we could do things very quickly. We could build great software products and bring them to market tomorrow. But if they don't really impact people's lives in a positive way, then what is the point? And I think, you know, there are these longer and shorter cycles of thinking and innovation and creativity that take place in our society. And so much of the challenge of the modern era, especially, you know, as industry is moving faster and the cycles are getting shorter, you know, it is to really keep ourselves focused, not on the speed and the pace of what we are doing, but to keep our eyes on the prize, keep our eyes on this end result that we're trying to reach of human flourishing. Everything we do must be translated in one way or another into human flourishing. And I might, I might add a, a, a new term, you know, around technology translation. So knowledge, we have to translate knowledge into a form in which it is useful and measurable in human flourishing. The same is true of every, nearly every other area of human endeavor, <laughs> including technology. And we have to take responsibility for that. It's a bit of a long answer, but that's, that's, what, that's, what I, that's where my mind goes when you give me that definition. Does that mean a yoga is for you knowledge translation? Well, yes. I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those terms, you know, you take knowledge and you need to translate it into a form in which it is useful you know, translate it into a form where it can be consumed by somebody else or combined with other things. That's true. That's true of, of nearly everything um, that, we, that we do. So that is how I think of our company. I think of our company as taking knowledge and ambition and, and, and um, you know, love and curiosity and translating it into something tangible in the world that can really increase human flourishing, increase joy, increase health, increase happiness in the real world. That's a really nice description. And Sylvan, um, in your work then for Ayugo, how do you think from an academic perspective you incorporate knowledge translation? Well, you know, that, uh, well, I can tell you one example we just did, like we just, uh, we just created like a video that explained uh, the collaboration that we have, Michael and I, so this is a kind of like the idea exactly of knowledge translation where we're trying to transform what we are doing 
into a media that can be communicated and, and can be understood and accessible by everybody. One aspect will be like, for me, it should be accessible by everyone. That's what is very important. And, you know, and also I think that's one of the, my motivation to work with industry is like everything that I do is going to be able to be accessible. Going back in earlier in our conversation, we talked about how it's really important to understand each other's values when working together from industry and academia, ultimately to provide an end result that's actually impactful. So if you had to summarize kind of your top learnings or tips that you would give to other companies that are interested in working with academia or who are already working with academia, what are some tips that you would share so their relationship working together can also flourish? Um, is that for me or is that for Michael? I think from either of you, since you're both working <laughs> in a flourishing relationship. Yeah, well, I can stop. And then Michael Nicely done. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I think one tip is probably to, to meet on the academic side, to meet more and more companies. That's really like that because, you know, Sometimes I feel like academics just um, approach industry as one body when there is so many different companies with so many different approach and, and talking and meeting with industry uh, players will, will definitely allow you to understand that, but also to pick and choose the industry you, you want to work with and see if they, if they pick you. Um, I think that that's one aspect. The second, second uh, aspect I would say like this, if you don't know where to start, just reach out to Digital uh, Health Circle. We are here for that. We are here to help. Uh, this is our mission. So please just send us an email or give us a call and we'll be able to help. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's fantastic advice. And actually, that's partly the advice that I was going to give too, which is well, a, good, a good place to start is to have a conversation with, with Sylvain, who's got a lot of experience here, obviously, in, the, in, in this area. Um, the only thing that I might add to that, you know, just looking at it from a, the industry point of view, my my advice to entrepreneurs is, you know, don't mistake your means for the ends. <laughs> you know that that we have a tendency in industry, I think, um, not always, but sometimes, to think in purely kind of utilitarian terms. You know, is this going to be useful to me? Is there something here I can exploit? Can I make money with this? And, you know, that that is, that's the means, not the ends. And I think it's important that we engage in these conversations, you know, at, at a human level, you know, recognizing that we're all just people, you know, trying to trying to move through the world and make the world better and to, you know, to, to grow. And um, we don't have all the answers. And in fact, we don't even often, we often even don't have the questions. And we only discover those questions through conversations. So it is about engaging in conversation in a spirit of openness and humility and curiosity tell me, what is it that you understand? Maybe that will enhance my understanding. And if I have the opportunity to share my perspective, maybe I can enhance your understanding. And together we can come to a new place, you know, and, and having arrived there, um, 
feel that we are someplace that neither of us anticipated ever journeying to in the first case. And speaking of that curiosity, sometimes we feel in our experience, there's a lot of skepticism, especially in health science, towards methods that are not known or used by anyone else from academia to industry. Why is academia so scared of adapting these industry approaches? Well, I think, you know, I think it comes from this lack of knowledge of, um, of both sides, you know. I think industry are kind of scared of academics, seeing like, oh, those guys are so smart, so much educated, and why will they care about what we do, right? I think that's the first issue. And then the other side is like, um, academics say like, oh, what I'm doing is so specialist uh, or so specialized that that no industry will really care about that. Or I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to help them or like, you know, so I think, This is probably the first barrier. Um, and then uh, after that is this notion of like, you know, academic in some ways are portrayed daredevils and, and try new stuff. You know, like when you watch TV or movies, a scientist is like Iron, an Iron Man or anything like that, that can try to create something that's completely out of the blue. And um, But is, science is not really that right science is building on previous knowledge so i think there is this aspect where uh, people are learn process and knowledge in academic setting that are very strong and validated and take years and years to validate and so it's always hard to move from that knowledge base and and to go more toward um this kind of novelty aspect which I think the industry is really the, the, the perfect actor to, to do this kind of process. Um, I think where research is, is more like in terms of validating where it is interesting. Then there is some people that in research that, uh, you know, discover a new process and, and investigate completely new avenues. Um, but I will say those are probably most of the time Uh, so uniqueness versus and the norm. Well, I, I really feel like I have to say something here in, in, in on this particular topic, which I think is important to say out loud. And I, I know it's going to sound a little bit weird coming for me. I'm gonna, maybe, <laughs> I'm gonna, maybe I'm going to sound like a Marxist when I say this. But one of the reasons for this skepticism is a, is a healthy skepticism that is... Um, which is you know built on top of an, a, a recognition that so much of that not that there's too much that happens in industry where the measure of its success is its ability to make money there are plenty of things that make money in this world that have um that are that are toxic in other ways and You know, that people are willing to spend money and dedicate their time and resources and energy to something like, say, homeopathy doesn't make homeopathy worthful. Homeopathy is complete bunk. It's total pseudoscience. And just because people make money from it doesn't make it good. And so I think that there is a healthy skepticism on the academic and, and clinical side towards ideas that originate in industry where the only measure of their success is whether or not they can make money 
and not whether or not they actually help anybody. You can sell somebody something and claim, make a claim about it, um, and that they that they paid you money for the thing doesn't validate your claim. And I think that is a mistake that we very often make in um, on the industry side that is not very often or quite as often made on the academic side. And I, I think that there's a there's a valuable skepticism there. And again, yeah. I know it's, we need to be humble about what it is that we're doing and, and listen to voices, voices from outside. And partly it is the meeting, you know, meeting between these different worlds that allows us to come to a, a new understanding of value between us. Yeah, I, I think making a very good point here, Mike, because, uh, you know, one of the currency in academia is truth and also trust, right? So those are very, very important. And uh, as a scientist, you never want to lose either of those. Um, and so there is a, you know, there is a risk depending when the context or uh, the domain is just too novel to, to go into a territory where um, you don't really know and you don't have any basis for you to know, you know, if it is true or correct or ethical or so this aspect is very important in, in science. How do we bypass these barriers that you've listed of kind of this lack of conversation happening on both ends and how science is typically built on previous knowledge and having these novel ideas is not the norm. So how do we work towards a future where it's not such novel, weird things to take industry approaches and kind of naturally embed it into kind of the academia science field? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I will not say that science is not doing novel ideas. I think, I think what I tried to say is, is sometimes the novel idea of industry are not adapted by science for the reason that Michael just highlighted, that there is a risk uh, to adapt something coming from um, no scientific background for us in academia. <clears throat> I think science is extremely novel, like that the, the, the process of science is by itself novel. Um, so I, that's the difference between those those two um, kind of uh, idea, but um, I think I think I think it's in March. You see, look at your podcast uh, today. Look at uh, look at everything that's happening, like the collaboration between me and Michael. Those are like things that didn't really exist like thirty years ago. Um, I remember like when I was a PhD student and I sit down at a, at a dinner with some uh, professors and I remember like what I was really interested in trying to see if I could collaborate uh, with a company because um, I could not develop the entirety of my um, project at the digital house technology level. And I thought, okay, maybe I can find those expertise in industry that could help and, and, and then we can partner. And I remember like, professor telling me like, oh, you cannot do that. You cannot even go talk to an industry partner uh, um, and, and telling me like, oh, if you do that, we will not, we will not continue your PhD thesis or we will just call the, the dean and tell him that this is not okay to do that. Uh, I mean, it was really, really a tough discussion for me. Uh, so I, I, I kind of gave up the idea because I was just too scared. <clears throat> But right now we have actually, you know, we have like hackathons where there is company that can help students. 
uh, there is like different discussion like today or but also events where they are mixed like uh, interface else like his uh, conference that happen every year in the fall in uh, Vancouver so interface health and uh, we we just uh, spoke Michael and I we were part of a panel there where there was academic industry and and others uh, and, uh, so I, I think it's, it's happening but it's just you know maybe not as fast as as we we wish um, I think we heard really a great um thoughts about how industry and academia moved forward and working together nowadays. And I really like how work is much more interdisciplinary now. Michael, from your perspective, the process took a while to adapt in academia. Do you think it's the same in industry? Did that process of interdisciplinary work with academia take a while to evolve? And would you say Ayogo is novel in that? Well, I appreciate the question. Um, you know, Ayogo is... I think we're doing interesting and valuable work. I mean, obviously, we've been recognized for being particularly innovative, um, but I, I don't think I, I don't think of myself, and I don't think that you know anybody in our company thinks of themselves or thinks of our company as being you know you know especially especially groundbreaking. I think you know maybe we are you know at a part of a forward leaning group of companies and entrepreneurs who are, you know, who think of what we are doing as, you know, essentially collaborative and think of how we measure our success in ways other than purely financial ones. But I think it's a trend in general in society. And, and I think it's important just to acknowledge that we're having this conversation, you know, using technology that didn't exist until very recently. <laughs> and a lot of that technology came from academia and was developed more fully by industry and put into a form where it is extremely inexpensive and that the four of us could meet here and have this conversation. So we are making progress. We are moving quickly. We are adapting. We are achieving great things um, and all the time. And let, let's not lose sight of the achievements we are um, seeing you know, because we are too busy focusing on the things that maybe we could do a little bit better. I think we can always do better and we can always come up with new models and there'll be new collaborative, you know, knowledge translation approaches that we haven't thought of today. Some of them will be better than what we're doing now. Some of them will be not as good and will, you know, go away. But, um, but, but I think we are, we are always striving to do better, better. And I think that's important. I will add one more thought on top of that, um, which may not be directly in line with your question, but I think is important to say, which is that clearly we are seeing now in our society, the straining and the, the fraying at the edges of our economic and political systems. And, you know, capitalism in its modern form is failing to do the thing that we had is currently failing to do the thing that we have relied on it to do for so long, which is distribute its benefits to the, to the population at large. The gap between the wealthy and the poor is getting greater and greater all the time. This is not supposed to be an effect. I mean, we forget that's not how capitalism is supposed to work, right? How it's supposed to work is that the benefits will be distributed to society. And, and I think, you know, clearly we need to do things differently. We will, we will, it will be absolutely necessary for us. 
we will be forced to do things differently in the future. And I think we should embrace that challenge and lean into it. And I'm proud to be part of that vanguard. If people want to consider me part of it, I'm proud to be considered part of that vanguard of companies that are leaning forward into ways of measuring our success that are not purely monetary and are reaching out to other organizations that have different ways of measuring their success and learn from them, learn not just the output of the work of academia, but the process itself. And what approaches are they taking to, are, are being taken in areas outside of industry that we can adapt to the way that we do our work so that we can contribute more fully to the flourishing of, of human civilization. I think you said it best that change is imminent and we can only focus on that growth mindset that you kind of alluded to in your answer. So with that being said, what is something that you and Savane would like to do for IOGO and what's kind of the 10-year vision that you have? My 10-year vision for IOGO? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's hard even to think about um, a two or three-year vision for our company. I mean, things are going moving very quickly. Um, what I would like to do with Sylvan and with Digital Health Circle is more. That's what I would like to do. I'd like to do more. I would like to, you know, I'd like to do more um, work. I would like to do more brainstorming. I would like to do more thinking. I would like to do more um, of everything. And it's a very exciting time to be alive. And we're producing, I think, great work in the people here that work at a yoga are are feeling that and feeling the excitement and, and love what they're doing. And I want to give them the opportunity to do more of it. I want to give, I want to gift all the employees here at Yogo more opportunity to work with Sullivan and his team and, and through him and digital health circle, you know, the other stakeholders that we so value interacting with. I, that's the one thing I want. I want more. <laughs> well, that's pretty nice, Michael. Thank you. Yeah. I think I think we uh, I'm saying here like uh, we want like maybe uh, one aspect that we are discussing right now with Michael uh, that maybe we will come to life or not but we are working on uh, on the digital health um, process to help people with um, depression and to help them um, to help you know find them because uh, 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 you know over 50% of people that suffer from depression don't know they are suffering from depression. So we're working on different technology with uh, Dr. Farnak Fazan and the Combine uh, Network, which is a, a, a Canadian network for depression. Uh, and we are working right now brainstorming together about the possibility to develop uh, technologies that will be able to um, identify uh, those people, but also to help them and provide solution for them. So uh, if anyone is interested that listening to the post, uh, the podcast, we are, we are, we are, please contact us and, and, and come in this adventure with us. Oh, what a great comment. So then I, I, I think that there is, you know, just to, to build on what you just said, I, you know, there, there is this growing acknowledgement in healthcare and, you know, in medicine generally, of the complexity of human beings and how important our mental state, our mental health, and our whole psychosocial context is ultimately to our success and, and our health. Um, 
you know, our, our, our health and our success generally. And, you know, things like how connected are we socially? What is, what is the quality of the conversations that we're having with our family? These measures are very important, even essential to our ultimate success, you know, in, in the healthcare realm. So even though we may, we may think of, you know, human flourishing in this, in these very broad terms, even when we narrow it down to just look at clinical outcomes, we can see that so many of the clinical outcomes are actually driven by these psychosocial factors and creating this deeper understanding of human beings and all of the things that go into us as people and, you know, as social actors in the world and as, you know, actors in our own healthcare journey, the more understanding we have, the better we can tailor our interventions to deliver what an individual patient needs to be successful. So as we're moving towards precision medicine, you know, around genetics, we're also moving towards more of a precision healthcare around understanding the, the depth and complexity of the human psychosocial cons, um, context. That is a really exciting thread that we're following here at Ayogo and, and together with, uh, with Digital Health Circle. And yeah, I mean, definitely get in touch with Sylvan or I if you think that that sounds like an exciting adventure because that's that's what we're that's what we're trying to do it does sound as exciting and we look forward to seeing where Ayogo, but especially your partnership evolves to in the next years so last question for today coming from different areas you two what is something that you learned from each other I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Sylvan to go first because my list is really long and I, I want to have as much time as possible to fill up the end of the podcast with it. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's easier or, or, or more difficult to go first. <laughs> I was trying to say like, okay, Michael, let's go go first. <laughs> uh, I, I think like you know, one aspect I learned with Michael that is just so far refreshing is his ability to. If we put our mind to it, everything is possible. Um, I think that's that's one thing that I learned from Michael. Another thing that I learned from Michael is, uh, well, our experience with him, but is that compassion. Like um, Michael lead Ayogo with such an empathic um, uh, leadership style. Uh, which which taught me a lot about how I should uh, interact with my team or, or give me solutions on how to interact. So, you know, the collaboration went way beyond the project we were uh, working on together or we will work on together. I think that's also one of the richness of those collaboration is, is to learn from the other person. Uh, so those two aspects are, are, are clearly something where I learned a lot from Michael. Well, that's very generous of you to say, Savannah. And I, I, I've, I've also found it a, a really enriching experience to work with you and to work with Digital Health Circle. And I feel like I'm a, I'm a better entrepreneur and a better CEO, and I dare say a better person for it. Uh, you know, and I've learned a lot from you in particular. And I, I think, you know, just to sort of stick to concrete learnings which i which i know will be helpful to your to the audience of this podcast i think you know sylvan's view on the ecosystem and the importance of bringing in all these other stakeholders you you heard me earlier talk about you know the necessity to build this kind of 
you know, richer tapestry of stakeholders and, you know, and, con- and think of it as, as a process of conversation. I think I really learned that from Sylvain um, in an important practical way, you know, how to do it with academia, how to do it with government, you know, how to think about, you know, scientific papers, for example, as an important way to communicate, you know, to, to not just to take what's in a, in a, in a, in an academic paper and translate it into technology in the real world, but to go back the other way, to think about how what we are doing could be described and thought of in scientific terms so that we can communicate back into academia and communicate back into these other longer, much longer cycles of innovation that are taking place in our society. Not to just think inside my little box of, I need to build a software and, you know, I've got three years of funding, you know, before I need to be profitable and, you know, these kinds of things, but to think of it as part of this broader set of overlapping conversations that are happening across these different timescales. Sylvain and his career and digital health circles and organization are very good at navigating across those different timescales and those different conversations. And I think that has been a really important learning for me, you know, that it's important. It's not just, you know, sort of philosophically important to do it. It's practically important because that is how you create entrepreneurial organizations. That's how you create innovations and products that survive over the long term, that are really adaptable and are, and are open to you know ideas coming from anywhere, inputs coming from anywhere, and to think over longer timescales um, and as well as the short ones. Perfect. And I think it's really telling that you have a very fulfilling and flourishing partnership to have such a long list of learnings and things that you admire from each other so that's awesome ultimately today we've learned that humans are complex and it really is a great time to be alive with rapid changes and improvements in technology and collaborations i personally learned that the opportunities are truly endless and in today's episode we focused on the relationship between academia and industry to ultimately help humans flourish and we've also covered the differences and similarities between academia and industry and of course about how iogo health works Both Michael and Sylvain's contact and profiles will be listed below for you to stay updated with all the fun and incredible things that Iogo Health and Digital Health Circle will accomplish in the next near future. Thank you to the Master of Digital Media program for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about the Master of Digital Media program at thecdm.ca. That's it for today, right from the heart of Vancouver. Keep in touch in the meanwhile on Twitter at Raincoat Podcast. Till next time, stay dry and stay safe.